everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a little different today. I'm coming to you from Dallas, and I'm really excited uh, to have my guest here because we've got the Midwest taken care of. Sherry Clark is my guest, and Sherry comes to us from Des Moines, Iowa. So, Miss Sherry, are you there? I am here. I am so excited that you're on the show today. I, I keep looking at your picture, and especially the one with the peace sign. <laughs> and, and it just makes me laugh. And the reason I say that is because uh, last week I did a great show with an eight-year-old. His name was Kenny Roshan, and Kenny made me laugh for a half an hour. It's a little eight-year-old who's written six books during the pandemic, and one of them was Kenny's favorite riddles, and one was Kenny's favorite jokes. And throughout the whole show, I looked at his picture, and I just smiled. And so when I was putting together your promotion, I got the one with you and the cat, and you were just hollering. You must have had something funny happen, because <laughs> you are just giggling, and I find that so engaging. So welcome. We are going to have fun today. Thank you. Well, I'm in for that, always. Absolutely. And I, I was also able to write an article this week about a little bit of humor, and I found a statistic that children laugh 300 times a day, and adults only laugh 17. And if yeah, laughter, I believe it. If laughter is the best medicine, we have a lot of catching up to do. So maybe today, maybe today. And then I also love your hippie, your hippie look is what I call it, the hippie look um, <laughs> with your flower power. So I just love that, that you have the, the courage to do that. And uh, this is really fun. So back to the real show, Sherry. I start the show typically asking a little bit about who you are. I want my guests to find out who you are because most of them, most of them probably don't. Uh, so you, can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what your family life was like? Absolutely. So I was born um, when Dwight D. Eisenhower was president in 1956. So if anybody's doing the math, um, <laughs> next, month, next month I will be eligible for Medicare. I will be 65. 
So, um, and I think that, that the reason I lead with that is it's context. It tells people when you know when someone is born and oftentimes where, you, you know a little bit about them. So I grew up in upstate New York, which about um, pro- almost two hours north of New York City in a town called Saratoga Springs. And my parents um, were, had not been college educated. They were... Um, They were just high school grads, but they owned a business, and it was a bus company. I was first-generation college. I went to Rochester Institute of Technology in Rochester, New York, and when I graduated, there was a recession, and so I decided that the best thing to do would be to hide out and wait for the recession to go away, so I went to graduate school. And that was actually ended up being a good move because at 23, then I I had not only a bachelor's degree, but then an advanced degree. Um, and so that's my early, the early part of my life. Do you have uh, brothers and sisters? I have zero brothers. Or, so, wait, oh my gosh, my sister would shoot me. I have a sister. <laughs> well, no, you said you have zero brothers. <laughs> yes, I have zero brothers. Thank you. Thanks for the save there, Debbie. Yeah. I, have, I have one sister, and, and I will say just in full transparency because um, I do like to laugh and I like to have fun, but I'm also pretty um, straightforward about my life. Uh, my sister and I are estranged, so mm-hmm. we don't have a relationship, and so that's probably why I subconsciously said zero. That's okay. When you were young, though, are you older or younger? I am older. I'm the oldest. You're older. And so when you guys were little, did you like sports or what kind of hobbies did you have? Um, I was, here's a little known fact about me. I was a baton twirler. And so that was my sport. I can (laughs) Can see that. that? (laughs) So that was my sport. I also did gymnastics. Um, Never really team or organized sports. You know, I mean, I played um, sandlot softball, that kind of thing, but not like as a serious thing. But um, we rode our bikes. We lived in the, we lived at Saratoga Springs is a town of about 20,000. And I lived in, um, the, people would have called it the sticks. Uh, yeah. it, it wasn't, it wasn't downtown. You had to like get in the car and drive. You couldn't ride your bike to my house. So, um, but that, what, what was cool about that was that it was, it was safe. It was, there wasn't a lot of people around there weren't a lot of you know like places to get into trouble there was woods so if there was going to be any trouble it might have been from like wild animals but that would have been about it well that reminds me i grew up in a small town called woodstock vermont and a similar situation back then there's only 2500 people and we had to ride our bikes everywhere and i had a i painted mine bright orange so everybody knew who i was uh, well, Debbie, did you know I went to UVM is where I got my master's degree? Really? No, I went there too my first two years, and then I transferred down to North Carolina. But, yeah, wow. Burlington yeah, is a so fun, fun place. It is. I was going to say, so we both spent time in Burlington. Yay. We did, but Burlington, uh, actually, I was there my freshman, sophomore year, and then my sophomore year, I tore my knee. I tore the ligaments in my knee and uh, had surgery up at the hospital there. And uh, then transferred south so I could be in the warmth. I was actually born in Burlington to go way, way back. Wow. My dad was What year were you there? Uh, I was in school there, 77, 78. Okay. I came in 78. You came in 78. I was there. I was probably just leaving. So we just crossed, crossed, crossed paths. 
But what a great place. It was lovely. It, I, the last year, though, when I had my knee surgery, I was on crutches. It was not a fun place to be on crutches. It's too hilly. No. Too hilly. Yes, it is. Yep. Well, now I feel like we're sisters by other misters. We get. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm the sister you're, you're not estranged from. <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's do that. There we go. My new sister. Okay, so you left UVM, you went, you went to graduate school, now, you, now you're working. You're in the corporate world. Where did you go after school? So after graduate school, um, I, my, I have an MED, a Master of Education um, in Counseling, as was my concentration area in higher education, so, um, which meant I wanted to work at a university. Remember, I said I was first-generation college, and a lot of times um, the decisions or the, the things, the parts of our lifestyle that you know, were, were there when we were younger inform our decisions later. So since I was first-generation college, college held a lot of allure for me, and um, I, I loved it, and I wanted to work in that environment because it was so, such a foreign thing. So I accepted a position at the universe, or, uh, Drake University here in Des Moines, and what I proclaimed to my friends was, I'm going to go out there. This was in 1980. I'm going to go out into, and work in Des Moines. People were wrinkling up their noses and going, why? Um, yeah. And I said, it's a great, a great job opportunity, and I like the people, and I'm going to have some cool responsibilities, and I'll be back in two years. Um, save a place for me. Um, I'm not going anywhere very long. And I actually believed that because I continued to vote absentee ballot in New York, and I kept my New York State driver's license and license plates, and I was just here on loan. Well, fast forward, um, I was at the university for almost five years. It was a little over four. And I loved it. I loved what I was doing. But I started to feel like I started to look around. And this is not an indictment of people who work in education whatsoever. This was my observation at my point in my life. But it felt to me as though some of the, my colleagues in the education field were a little stuck, that they were um, doing the same thing over and over. Here's the, here's the analogy or the, the, the quick little parable. My boss, who I adored, I walked into his office one day, and this was, remember, this is the early 80s, before we had, everybody had a computer on their desk, and he had a bottle of whiteout, and he was whiting out a folder, um, and the, the, the tab on a folder, if anybody remembers whiteout and folders. <laughs> um, he was whiting out the year and writing in the new year and keeping everything else the same. So what he was teaching was the same, what he was doing was the same, everything was the same, just a different year. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't do that for 40 years. I can't do that. So that was what prompted me to leave higher education was I, that one incident set forth, you know, kind of a seed, like, like happens with us. Sometimes there'll be one pivotal moment in your life, one time, one thing that happens that changes how you view everything. And it, for me, it was an unexpected moment. But what I did was then I tendered a resigna my resignation, but in higher education, which is different than the corporate world, you can give lots of notice and you're not fired. And mm -hmm. people listening know sometimes in corporate America, if you give your two weeks notice, they say, no, you're leaving now. Give us your keys. Security will be right up. They'll escort you to the door and you're out of here. 
And that doesn't happen in higher education. In higher education, I actually was put on the search committee to find my successor, which was kind of cool. So I had a whole long runway of time to decide what to do. So that's that chapter. And so you had the courage to, to notice that you couldn't stay there. Because and, and a lot of people is, would not take that road out. They would have said, well, it's security, and, and so you had the courage. It Was this the first time you really were brave enough to walk away? Because here you were the first college person in your, in your what your family say? Were they like, Sherry, are you crazy? Well, actually, the good news is my father was the one that really encouraged me. His, his message to me was, you're a girl. Girls need every advantage they can get. Education is an advantage. You need to do this. Okay. And so that was cool. That was a cool message. Although, but it was hard. It was hard to leave that, you know, leave the family nest. I could have just stepped into the family business. That would have been perfectly acceptable. Nobody would have thought it was anything weird, except I wanted to go. I, you know, it, it, I was 17 when I started college. That's when you want to spread your wings. So I would say that the first, to your question, the first time that I ever really exhibited what I would call like, audacious bravery or courage would have been leaving that education environment because it was safe as you said you know it was it nobody you people you have to be really to get fired from an education position you have to do something pretty pretty bad Bad. you know it's like i was working i was actually air force but working in washington dc around government jobs and it's the same thing I mean, obviously, education is a government job, but it's the same thing. People are there, you know, they're as a GS 11, 12, 13, and they're there for 30 years doing the same thing with no incentive to go out. I mean, the incentive was a pension. I'm saying, how boring. Yeah. How can you do that? Oh, my gosh. So you did that, and it reminds me, too, my, in my conversation with Kenny last week, and I had asked him about working with his dad and doing things differently, and I said, why do you do what you do? And he goes, and I, how do you do it? And he goes, I'm very curious, and I'm brave. And I'm like, Ooh. wow, eight-year-old, that is really, um, I was totally amazed last week. So if anybody wants to re- get really in, uh, incentivized and encouraged, watch last week's show with my eight-year-old, Kenny Roshan. But to, for an eight-year-old to say, be curious and be brave to his, he was talking to other kids, um, what would you say to adults? about being curious and brave. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, I think Kenny's advice is brilliant. Actually, um, he could be a middle-aged woman easily and and do pretty well. Um, The courage and bravery, the, the thing about it is, is that sometimes you just have to be a little patient with yourself. I think the, the hard thing with women with anybody, anybody that has to make a decision is you, you, there's a, we don't realize that there's a phase of a series of phases that you go through. So I will tell you that, that, you know, I let you have a peek under the tent about me watching him white out the folder. I didn't quit in that moment. That moment was when the motion, the wheels were put into to turning into action. So I made the observation and I left and started to think about it. And 
So the important thing to remember is, you know, it's not if you've been thinking about something that requires bravery or or courage, which usually, let's be frank, equates to the word change, because it's, it, that's what we're talking about really is change. Um, be go easy on yourself if you've lived with this knowledge for a little bit, because. Um, I, I didn't, each time that I have been brave, and there's a, one other time that's similar in my life that I, I, I had to walk away from something that was secure and safe, and other people were like, where the hell are you going? This is, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with this? How bad is it? There wasn't pain. I wasn't being harassed in the workplace. There wasn't, I wasn't being held down, or there was no glass ceiling. There was nothing wrong except everything was wrong. And what was wrong was internal. It wasn't external, you know, things that were pressuring me and making me feel like, oh my God, I've got to get out of here. It was me saying, if I don't get out of here, I see where I'm going to end up and I don't like the writing on the wall. So I think the message that I would say that would be important is realize that the journey will happen, unfold for you. It'll at a pace that's right for you and you have the ability to turn up the volume or turn or fast forward or change the speed of your journey at any given point. That's, that's interesting because that is so true. <clears throat> and I think a lot of us get held back by what others are saying. So in oh, your journey yeah. there, how many people, were there naysayers around you and who were they? How did you get past that? Well, you know, that that's probably a good segue for me to talk about then the next phase, which is where the real naysayer thing happens. So, um, so from the higher education thing, so now we're in 1985, um, and the good news, listeners, is that it's not, we're not going to go this slow because I've got to fast forward <laughs> for 25 years. So don't be thinking, oh, good Lord, she's only on 1985. Um, so in 1985, I made the determination that I tendered my resignation and I said, I, I don't know where I'm going, but I've got to get out of here. Um, because I knew that if I didn't do it, if I didn't say it out loud, it wasn't going to happen. So there's a, a little, like maybe a little pointer for somebody that's wanting to make some change. You don't have to make all of your jump at once. You just have to make a step. So for me, the step was to say, I'm leaving at the end of this academic year, which gave me a lot, lots of months runway. I did the same thing when I quit smoking. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I was ever a cigarette smoker, but I quit smoking around the time I moved out to Des Moines. I smoked when I was in graduate school. It was the thing. Everybody was doing it. I started doing it too. And I decided I didn't want to be a smoker, so I told everybody I, I had quit when I really hadn't because I knew that, that by telling everybody I quit, then I couldn't smoke in front of people. And then by not smoking in front of people, then the only way I could smoke would be alone, and I didn't, there wasn't a lot of joy in that. So that was how I quit. I just said it, I just said it and it was done. So I think there's sometimes you just have to kind of, the leap of faith is to say, I'm going to do this thing. So I said I'm quitting. And what I did was, I just said to the universe, okay, I don't know what's next, but please watch my back, would you? And what happened was within several weeks, I had met someone. And the someone that I met was a, a man. Um, 
And he was my age, and we had a romantic spark. And he knew that I had tendered my resignation, that I was going to be leaving, that which meant I would probably be moving. But he was anchored here in Des Moines. And he was a graphic designer, and he was in business for himself. And he said, why don't you just go into business with me? And I said, I know nothing about graphic design. And he goes, but you're good with people, and I need a, a rep. I need somebody to, to do the things I just want to create. Why don't you go work with people? You're good at that. I'll just stay here and create. And I thought, well, okay, I'll try that for six months. But here's the thing. If we're not making enough money, because I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not unlimited here. I I didn't make a lot of money at the university. I didn't have a lot in savings. Then I'm going to have to go because I I can't, you know, I got to make a living. Well, we started our business together. And it was successful from the get-go. And we ended up being business partners for 25 years. So that's why I said we fast-forward from 1985 to 25 years later. Um, and that, the decision, the hard part, was when I made the decision that I had to leave. And our, per, our personal relationship had unraveled about 11 years, or no, 14 years in. Um, and we decided that we weren't going to live together anymore. We had never gotten married, we had, but we decided to not live together anymore and to continue the business, um, which was right there, a hard decision <laughs> and you, that if you have questions about, you can ask them. But we'll just say, you know, it was a difficult decision to keep one part of a relationship, what aspect of it, and to change the other aspect is not a simple thing. And anybody listening can understand what that would be like. So... We did that, and then I stayed for 11 more years. And at the end of that 11 years, both of us had changed as people, and we had changed enough that for me, the joy had gone out of the room. Um, I didn't like working with him anymore. I didn't like the. I didn't like it. I just, it was. I was done. And sometimes after 25 years, you get to be done. Maybe your exercise, you know, you used to be a runner and 25 years later you're like, I think I'm overrunning. I need to switch. I need to swim or I need to do yoga, whatever. So it, it was that. And so I made the decision that it was time to go. And that was probably the hardest. That was the act of courage that took the most. And you talked about the naysayers. In this particular case, were they friends or even him or... It was mostly my friends and colleagues that said, what are you thinking? Because we were, after 25 years, we had become extremely successful. I was making a lot more money than I was in an education setting. Um, Everywhere I flew, I flew first class, and I flew a lot. And I had written three books while we were in business and had gotten to be well-known. There was a lot of, you know, credibility built up and, a lot of, and I was 53 years old, so people were like, you know, it's not, again, it's, there was no glass ceiling. There was no workplace harassment. There was no reason that anybody else could see. And they're like, why are you throwing this away? And I was thinking to myself, I'm throwing my life away. You just don't see that. I am not happy. I get up in the morning and I'm like, oh, shit. I've got to go into the office. Well, I owned the office. That building, the mortgage, my name was on the mortgage, and the mortgage actually, P.S., was paid off. So nobody could understand why, and they were like, why? how bad is this? And everybody looks for evidence 
that it's so bad you've got to go. And it was absent in my case. It was just I wasn't leaving something, running away from. I was running toward. I just didn't know what I was running toward. I knew that what I wanted to run toward was joy for me in my life because I didn't have it. You know, it's interesting because I, I just wrote down here that, that you were looking, that they, everybody was looking for evidence of the why. And mm-hmm. you, were, you said you were 53. Well, when I was 52, my husband died suddenly and, you know, was here one day and gone the next. And I was thrown into something completely new. Nobody asked why I would, you know, make changes. Life happens. And sometimes you plan it, sometimes you don't. Um, and by Lou passing away like that, it obviously changed my life in an instant. Uh, but now I had to really assess who who I was, and I think you did that too. Because now I'm well, I'm not Lou's wife. I'm you know the, I've always been the kid's mom, and and I had all these personal stopping points. Like one of his friends came up to me afterwards and says, "Well, who are you now?" And I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm 52 years old, and I've like you said, you lived your life for your family, for your friends, for your business partners, for everybody. But who are you?" And I didn't know that for a while. So, Sherry, at that point in life, who do you feel like you were? And now what's the next step? Where did you go from there? So uh, all I knew was that I wasn't happy. And it was, you know, what's interesting, Debbie, and even in talking about it, I see the parallels between leaving Drake University and leaving the the agency, the design firm that I owned. Um, I left without knowing what was next in both cases. And for me that it's it's definitely it was more, way more difficult the second time to do it in part because 53 is different than I was 28 when I left the university. At 28 I didn't I didn't own a home. I had no debt. I didn't have student loans. I didn't have you know, I didn't have stuff. At 53 um I had I did I still didn't have debt, but I had stuff. I had a lifestyle to maintain. I owned a home. I had to, you know, I had property taxes. I, everything I owned couldn't fit into a U-Haul. It was, it's a different chain. It's a different, you know, the stakes feel different. But I reminded myself that if the situation was the same, that if you don't have two things in life, I think, one is health. Your, your health is essential. I don't care how much money you have. If you're unhealthy, Everything is shifted. And for me, the second thing is the joy factor, the reason to get up in the morning, the, the reason to be a good person who can think about others, who can think about giving money to charity or letting somebody else in on the freeway or being a good neighbor. You can't be those things, I don't think, if you don't feel some level, a basic minimum level of joy in your own skin and in your own life. And that we give from that, that's the excess. And I was depleted. I was burned out. I felt, I felt like I had to get out or I would just die or get sick. And I see women oftentimes, I, I see a lot of it. And there's been a lot of writing about it. Louise Hay writes about um, that certain ailments come as a result of not, not living your true life. Right, it's that dis-ease, you know, not the disease, yes. but it's 
ease. And, uh, and that happens to so many of us. And, and so at that point, though, you lost your, your purpose. You didn't feel like you had a really good purpose, and you wanted right. the joy. And I, and I work with a lot of women that have lost you know, a lot of money uh, either from a scam or, or some, uh, in some life event has happened to them. And yeah. many times in our minds, that's when we get into it, the happening to us rather than happening for us. So you are probably able to see here that, that, that the time to leave was for you. Nothing yeah. happened to you. So what did you do now? How did you move forward for you? Does that make sense? So I, yep. So I made the announcement that I, that I was leaving and um, I didn't know, again, you know, naysayers are like, what the hell are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I can't think with all this clatter, with all this chatter. You know how sometimes, you know, when you're trying to make a decision and everybody's, do this, do this, do this, and it's like you've got to go lock yourself in the bathroom and just be alone with your own thoughts. So I left and I decided I was going to take a month off and do absolutely nothing. And um, that month turned into being closer to a year um, where I did little things. I did some volunteering. I did some other just kind of keeping myself busy, did some further education, but I didn't make big decisions right away because I felt exhausted. Um, what I did start doing was telling people that because I had, I had one of the things that I had done for fun was I got a certification um, to be a health coach just for myself. I wasn't going to use it or do anything with it. But since I had it and people were coming to me and saying, you know, you're so healthy, um, would you help me with this issue? Would you, help me with the, would you help me lose a little weight? Would you whatever? So I started dabbling in that, and it was kind of fun, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't know for sure what I was going to do with it. Well, then it grew, and um, I ended up helping, you know, women for a couple of years with health coaching and that type of thing. Um, it never really felt like it was exactly what I wanted to be doing, and I was okay with just making enough money to kind of get by. I mean, it was a, definitely a fall from grace. It wasn't a flying first class anymore, but that was okay. That wasn't what I was after at this point. Well, what happened was I realized in my conversations with many of the people that I worked with, and I keep saying women because I use, mostly coach women. Um, there are a few men that I, I have coached, but I prefer to work with women. And many of them were talking with me about weight or um, sugar addictions or those kinds of things. And I realized they were smart cookies. They didn't need me to say to them, you know, you should eat more broccoli and less nachos. They knew that. What they weren't getting at was the real root of the issue, which was they were in marriages that made them unhappy or their careers were, they were not they, they had outgrown their positions or there was something in their life that needed to be addressed. And because it wasn't being addressed, they were eating as a way of numbing out or over drinking because they, for the same reason, or just ex not exercising because it felt more comforting to stay on the couch. And I started thinking, why don't I deal with the problem instead of the symptom? And that's how I morphed into life coaching and realizing that, what, you know, I don't want to talk about broccoli. I want to know 
why you're staying in this job that's sucking your soul dry. That's the work that we all need to do for ourselves. And, and it, it's tough. If you're not in, around people that do that, then you're, you're, you can isolate a lot. And, and like the numbing, it comes from so many different things. And, uh, and I've seen that in my life, um, not just myself, but you know, my, my late husband. And there were things like with Lou and his weight, and he knew, he was a brilliant guy, he knew uh, that eating a dozen cookies, which I should have not made, but I liked baking, um, mm-hmm. that it wasn't good for him. But after he passed away, I realized that, that the weight made him feel safe from other things that had happened in his life. Yes. And there was nothing that I could have said to have changed it. It's like my weight. No one can say anything to me because either, either I'm too skinny or I'm too, too heavy or too whatever. I'm thinking, where do I feel good? And, and my daughter gave me this really good book. And I'm going to have to look it up because as I'm getting older, I'm forgetting what it's called. Um, but this is a book that I think everybody that's got an issue or you know, is thinking about they're not good enough. There's a book called More Than a Body by Lexi and Lindsay Kite. Uh, two sisters, got PhDs. And I think we have so... So many of us, um, media, and you were in advertising, mm-hmm. objectify the body. And so we look at the perfect, the perfect figure, the perfect picture, especially on Facebook, on social media. Everybody is putting up their perfect thing. And the rest of us are judging ourselves against that, not yeah. realizing that they, you know, those pictures have filters. They have you know, fixer-uppers. And that's probably not who that, that person is. Um, but we judge ourselves by what we're seeing and not by what's healthy. And that's what I love what you're doing is you're looking at the root cause for why people are overeating or over-medicating or numbing or whatever or blaming others. I mean, it's really easy to blame others for your circumstances because you don't want to take responsibility. So yep. In this, I, I love that numbing part and then really looking down, but it, it takes courage Sherry, to make yourself vulnerable, open yourself up to being vulnerable enough to find out what's wrong. Exactly. Yes. It, it, and, and to entertain the idea that, again, here's that C word, change, that it, if everything stays the same, then everything stays the same. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's one of my favorite expressions is if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you've got. Yeah. And it's realizing that the, the, the part about change that's hard is often just the first step. And I think the key is, for me, has been finding someone to step with you, to step beside you. Nobody can do it for you. But in my case, I, you know, for me, I found a friend um, who didn't have a horse in the race, who wasn't trying to convince me that I should stay or that I should do this or whatever, that just said, what do you want? That asked, asked questions and genuinely didn't try to influence my decision, that just accepted me. It's, it's like what, what you were, when you were talking about the More Than a Body book, even from the title you can tell, it has something to do with acceptance. And saying, I don't know your path. I don't know your journey. I don't understand your wants, needs, or desires. But I know that I love you. 
and I know that if there's something that you want, that you deserve to have it. And finding that person, it might be someone in your circle, more often than not, it's someone outside of your circle because it's very hard to expect your circle to do that. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I have a therapist. I have coaches. I have people that are paid professionals that don't know all of my backstory and that just simply believe in me and can help me find the tools so that I can step out. Well, and that's, I, I uh, have had coaches, I, I mean, I do have coaches now and mentors, and what always amazes me is that when I'm feeling small and not, and not realizing that my potential is greater, they see it, and they see the bigger picture and say, you can do this. Try yes. this. Try that. You know, or, or have you considered this? It's always better to get someone. I mean, because I work from home, and after Lou died, you know, my life was on the computer. I had an internet business, and I was surrounded. You know, I I isolated myself from other people, which obviously led to the internet dating, and, and that's a whole different story. But many of the women that I work with have had the same thing. There's been a, a divorce. There's been a death in the family. Something has happened. Something has changed them. And they, they're they isolating a little bit because they want to protect themselves from the world. But then we get involved with um, who, people we think are our friends. And again, a whole other story, but the whole pandemic and being isolated at home, I think that human need for connection has yeah. led us to connecting with people who not who are not our buddies we may think they are. Um, and so, like you said, have a buddy. For me, it's my, my words to folks is if you're going to be online looking for a relationship, have a dating buddy. Have somebody that is objective that can hold your, hold your yep. heart, you know, the heartstrings objectively um, because we get wrapped up in that. And, and I, I love what you're doing with people because they – they need a buddy. They need someone to look for the good. And, and I, actually, I'm visiting my daughter here in, in her bathroom up on the mirror. It says, it basically, is look who's in the mirror. Look who you're talking to right now. Look who you're looking at. Have confidence. Mm-hmm. Do you find folks are looking at themselves, think, looking at all the bad things that they're coming up with? How do we find the confidence in ourselves, Sherry? Um, well, sometimes I think you fake it till you make it. <laughs> Um, I, and I don't think there's anything bad with that concept. And I think that there's some, actually some good things about it. We're, um, realizing that for nobody, it's easy that it's like, oh yeah, well then I did this and then I stepped forth and then it's, it's never quite that simple. Um, so that, and I also think that finding confidence sometimes comes from chunking down whatever it is that you want to change. If you look at the entire if I had looked at everything I was going to have to face, um, that leaving one business and starting another, I'm not sure I would have done it. I, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I would have been like, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm capable of that. Not because it was a mistake, but because I would have lacked the confidence looking at the whole movie. So don't look for the whole movie. Just look at the trailer. For me, the thing was, don't worry about how this is going to happen and how that's going to happen. Take one step. Ask one question. Sometimes it's just doing your due diligence. That's the first step. And sometimes the due diligence will lead you to believe, oh, okay, you know what? 
I don't think I do want to change after all. I think that where I am right now actually is pretty good. But you go back to where you are that's pretty good with a much healthier attitude than if you hadn't done the due diligence. Because you know, you're like, oh, you know what? I looked at what else was out there. And it's not as great as what I thought it was. I think I'm happy here. Do you interview someone who you had interviewed or was telling a story about a young gal who wanted to leave corporate and start her own business? Yes. And can you tell that story? There's two that I actually want. I'll tell you very briefly. First one, um, the, a woman who wanted to leave corporate was actually an, a big insurance executive, and she wanted to be a massage therapist. And everybody around her was like, oh, good Lord, how, what, what are you thinking? You know, you're not going to make as much money, and why would you want to do that? And you're so successful in this. And, but, and she just wanted to do it. But she also was – she didn't want to just make the leap from – her high-level position into massage therapy, realizing there would be a lag time, you've got to build the business and so forth. So she ended up deciding that she would craft um, a a short little runway, and she negotiated with the company to be part-time, just enough so she could keep her benefits, and then gradually made that transition. So so sometimes, and the moral of that story is, sometimes it doesn't have to just be either or. It can be a a shade of gray. It could be an and. It could be a transition. You don't have to necessarily quit one thing to go do another. You can ease your way out. That's one thing. The other, which is the one I suspect that you were thinking of, is the mind shift change. I had a woman who wanted to start her own business because she had a young daughter and felt like, because she was working, she didn't get enough time with her daughter. Well, she, we did some investigation. We did the due diligence. We, I had her do some informational interviews to find out what it would be like to actually be a business in the field that she wanted to be in. And in the course of that due diligence, she made the discovery that she would actually have less time with her daughter because of all of the things that were, would be required of her. The shift that she made from being unhappy in her corporate job was that she had resented it and thought ill of it and thought it was taking things away from her. By making the shift and realizing that that corporate job actually made things possible that wouldn't have been possible any other way, there's a ramp up time when you start a business when you're not making the money right out of the gate. And she had the money to be able to do good things for her daughter. She had vacation time. That's not necessarily going to be the case when you're a startup business. So she viewed her position. She could look at it through different lenses and say, you know what? This might not be what I do forever. I still might want to start my own business. But right now, it's making certain things possible that I wasn't aware of. So now that my eyes are open, I don't have to go to it with resentment. I can go toward it with appreciation. And that makes all the difference. Debbie, as you know, a lot of it is our attitude. What do you bring to the party? Like, I've got to clean my own house. I, I have a cleaning lady, but she doesn't come every single week. So on alternate weeks, it's up to me. It's not my favorite thing to do. But if I go at it as a chore and with resentment, I don't like it while I'm doing it. But if I can find a way to make it fun, maybe by listening to a podcast or turning on cranking up 70s music and dancing while I'm dusting, it's, 
it's a different deal. I don't hate it. And why would I want to hate any part of my own life? So I'm just sitting here nodding. <laughs> I totally agree. And I like those little, uh, you know, I, I have this like uh, an email that comes in. It's 15 days to cleaning out your apartment. Well, I don't have an apartment. I have a home. But the idea is you start with a, you start with a drawer. You start with, yeah. the, you know, something easy that you like. That, and you put out the three boxes that you save, get rid of, or, you know, sell. And it's not clean the whole house all in one day. It's like take one little spot and get it done, do it happy. I can see you, I'm looking at your picture again, smiling, laughing, throwing that 70s music on, bebopping around like a little hippie as you clean the toilet. I mean, yes. how fun can you make life? Yep, exactly. That's, that's what it's about, right, that attitude. So Sherry, you, you, made, you made a comment. Would, I, I participated in a book once. It was called uh, Notes to My Younger Self. If you were to write a letter to your younger self, what would it say? Oh, um, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful question. So I think, I think the big thing I would say to younger Sherry is, um, you've got this. You, the, the fear and apprehension that you waste energy on is a waste of energy. Um, because we've established in this conversation, I have done some brave and courageous things. What, and just like an Instagram photo, you know, you don't see, you might hear me talking about it now in hindsight, but you don't see the times that I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning thinking, did I just F up my whole life by leaving? Did I just make the biggest mistake I will never recover from? You you don't see that, and most people, when you listen to someone that's a air quote guru or that is, you know, successful, and I am successful. I'm proud of the life that I have, and I'm not afraid or ashamed to admit that there were times that I was scared, crapless. You know that I was like, how am I going to make this work? It's just me. I'm single. I don't have other income. I don't have, I don't know what I'll do if, dot, dot, dot. So so what I would say to younger self is, you've got it. Just keep going. Have the faith. Have the the faith of your own convictions and be steadfast in that faith. So that would be the biggest message. The other would probably be... um, I just wrote I just wrote a newsletter about this, um, and it's something I learned from a friend. Use the good dishes, burn the pretty <laughs> candle, <laughs> um, wear the good clothes, your good clothes, your best outfit. Don't save it for one occasion that may or may not arrive. Live for today. Live your life in this moment. And I don't mean spend money frivolously. I think it's important to be, particularly if you are like me, you know, solely responsible for yourself. And having said that, I, I don't regret flying first class. I don't regret the things that I have done for myself. Sometimes you just need to do that. And I got that newsletter. Um, tell people how they can get that. I find your newsletter, it's like you're writing a note to me. And I love it because that's the way I like to write. So how can people get your newsletter? Well, thank you for asking. So my web URL is www4 
fork, F-O-R-K, like what you eat with, hyphenroad.com. So that's fork-road.com. Um, or you can Google me and just, and if you find me, you can find me that way, Sherry Clark and Fork in the Road. Um, and thank you for that. I appreciate it because I, that's, nobody needs another newsletter with tips and tricks and things like that. We can get those ourselves. But what I find is people are most interested in, just like in this conversation, I like to learn about what other people's story is. What path did you take? How did you deal with adversity? What did you do when you got knocked on your butt? How did you get back up again? That's the things that, those are the lessons that are instructional to me. Because we can take those and say, yeah, you know what? I have, a, I have a relationship with my sister that is also estranged. Um, I guess I'm not the only one. I'm not broken. I don't have to be ashamed of that. It's okay. And that's life. You know, and that's what I love yeah. about your approach to this is you've lived it. You, you know, we're, we're of that age. We're middle-aged now. You know, my dad yes. just turned 90 last week, and I figured, well, i got another 30-something years to go, so we're only mm-hmm. two-thirds of the way through. Um, I, I had a question, and it had to do with, with really knowing, uh, I mean, taking that jump. Or how did you take that first jump, that first leap into, because it's very easy to get down and, and out and, and, like I said before, isolate and not have the, the first step. Was it a coach that helped you to move out of were you, you know, into the new life or into your, into your joy? Uh, was it someone else that helped you, or how did you take that first step? Well, for me to, to get the courage to take the first step, I talked about it in therapy. I wrote about it in my journal. And frankly, one, one pivotal moment was when a friend of mine said to me, when are you going to stop talking about it and start doing something about it? And that felt like kind of like a little bit of a punch in the belly, like, ooh. Cause, and when somebody says something like that to you um, and you have a visceral reaction to it, it's usually because it's true. <laughs> and so there was that. The second thing was I had an assistant who I absolutely adored, and she was in her 20s. And like me, she was single and had no one else to depend on. And I knew that she knew that I was unhappy. I knew that it was, you know, it, you could you can sense when someone isn't in their joy zone. And I could see when she looked at me that she felt not, I wouldn't say sorry for, um, and I wouldn't say disappointed, but I knew that I wasn't being the role model for her that I wanted to be. So when I made the decision that I needed to go, I told her first, and it was for several reasons. One was, um, I knew that she, it, it could happen that she would be out of job if I left, that there would be no place for her, that, you know, that my, uh, my, um, my partner might decide that she was as dispensable as me and that she, if I was going, she was too. So, and I wanted to be fair to her. And the second reason was I, I felt like I needed some support to close down my aspect of the role in the company and so forth. And it was her response to me that made me know without a shadow of a doubt that I was doing the right thing. When I said to her, I'm thinking of leaving and I'm thinking that this is the time frame, she said to me, what took you so long? And that was it. And I tearfully said, thank you. I am making the right decision. 
So no regrets? Nope. Absolutely not. No. Perfect. And uh, you work with a lot of women. And um, how do you feel when they get to that point where maybe you've actually been that uh, prick in the side, you know, where you've given them that you got to, you know, do this, do this, and, and give, make them uncomfortable. And that's what I love, being comfortable, learning how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. that's a process. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's, um, it's actually, it's a cool place to be. And I know, Debbie, that you've witnessed it too and experienced it. When you see the other person, when the light comes on and they're like, I know, once I know, I can't not know, you can't stuff that genie back in the bottle. And when you see that in someone else and you see the combination of joy and recognition of possibility tempered with fear and, oh my gosh, I, 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 do I have the, I have doubt, I, can I do this, whatever. And all we have to do as coaches is stand and be the witness because it's just like I, I don't, I've never been a midwife. I don't, I've never uh, delivered a baby, but I got to believe that the midwife knows that she can't really do it, that mama's got to do the work, but that she's there to bear witness, to be support, to be everything except the, the delivering mother. And that's what it feels like to be in the role that I'm in now. I know that my role is critical and I know that I can't do it for them, but damn it, I can look and go, I know you can do this because I see what you've got because I don't work with people that I don't believe in and that I don't believe that I can help. Do you find strength in numbers? Do you do group coaching too? Yes, absolutely. And I love the, what happens in the group because what, what happens is a couple of things. Number one is you have a little team of witnesses and you're like, oh my gosh, did you guys see me do that? And everybody's going, yeah, uh-huh. You know, there's 14 of us. We all saw it. <laughs> there's, you did it. And the second thing is then the, the other 13 or the other 14 say, well, if she can do it, I wonder what's possible for me. And in that safe container, in that safe space with a coach who's saying, here's the ground rules. Nobody tells anybody they can't do it. <laughs> and it's magic. It's, I've seen absolute magic. I wish you could see me. I'm grinning ear to ear. I've mm -hmm. seen magic happen in those groups. Well, I'm glad to hear that because it's, it's very difficult sometimes to get people that usually have had some sort of life experience open up about it, be, to be you know, vulnerable enough to open up about it, and then to hear that they can move forward because they're thinking, I can't, I can't, and they can if they really truly want to, um, and then to hear the successes of others, I think in numbers, maybe it starts to get into you that Okay, yes. take a chance, and, and I can do it. So I love what you do, Sherry. So how if people are interested in, in finding out about your podcast and your coaching and the things that you're doing, uh, it doesn't matter that you're in Iowa because we're <laughs> That's right. a global community now. How can they get a hold of you? Um, I think the easiest way would be to drop me an email, and my first name is spelled with three E's, believe it or not. So here it is, S-H-E-R-E-E, -E -E, at 
fork-road.com. So that's the easiest way. And I, I get emails come right to me. Um, I answer my emails myself. And I always answer my emails. I, there, you wouldn't, I don't disregard any that I receive. So if you don't hear back from me, it's because you made a typo in the email. So you can also find me on Facebook. Well, that's funny you say that because as I was trying to send you information, I'm thinking, I'm not hearing from these girls. Maybe it's my end that's not doing it. And then all of a sudden I get this, confirmed, we got it, confirmed, we got it. So <laughs> yep. I, will, I will put that in the replay that people can get a hold of you. But I, I want people to at least reach out and get your newsletter because they're so dead on. And, and funny, when you said about bringing out the good dishes, I brought mine out. I love my dishes, and my my everyday dishes are heavy, and they're start, you know they're starting to crack. And I'm like, oh, just bring out the good ones, because I like anybody, as anybody knows, that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And my good dishes, you know, if, if well, I keep going back to Lou walking out that door and and saying I'll you know I'll see ya, and then I never saw him again. I mean that. That can happen to anybody at any time, and why wait? Why wait for the for the event that might happen because it might not happen? And bring them out with joy. I was talking to you the other day about I have Thanksgiving plates that only come out at Thanksgiving because I have a turkey on it. Uh, then maybe I ought to find a different event for my turkey plates. Yes, I support that. Never know. But Sherry, thank you so much. It, I, I love what you're doing. I'm, again, I'm looking at your pictures and I'm seeing your smile and your laugh. And, and it does take guts to live the second half of your life. And we're all there. We're at the second half of our life. But actually, I found such joy in being at this place in my life because we may not have the responsibilities of starting a business or raising children or or doing all those things that people expected of us from before, um, now is a chance to do what brings us joy yeah. and gives us purpose. And it can be scary, but if we don't do it, what's the worst? What's the worst thing? What's the worst thing if we do do it? Right. Exactly. And if you don't do it, you'll never know what was possible. And you may regret not ever doing it. Mm -hmm. So at least if you try it, you'll say, well, I tried it and it wasn't for me. It's kind of like, you know, your, your um, health coaching. You tried it, yep. you had fun with it, but it wasn't what you wanted to do forever, but it led you to where you are today. Yes, exactly. One step at a time. One step at a time. So thank you so much for what you're doing today and for the, the glimmer of, of love that you give to other people and the joy and, and, the laughter and thank you for helping me laugh again today and and I again I'm looking at your picture so folks if you've gone to the woman behind the smile dot com slash show and looked at Sherry's picture I'll put it in the re replay can't wait to do the replay uh, it just brings me joy Sherry and I know that you've had tough times in your life uh, but I, I feel that you're that you're doing really great stuff now and, and the groups and the women that you're counseling bring you joy and in the end that's what it's all about. So it's your time to be happy. It's your time to find purpose. And ladies that are out there, if you're if you're stuck, if you don't know where to take that first move, give Sherry a quick call. Go send her an email at sherry at fork dot road.com. Again, I'll put that out there. Check out our podcast, you guys. It is fun. It's called Fork in the Road. 
And uh, Sherry, thank you so much for being our special guest today. I, I so appreciate you and honor what you're doing and look forward to spending a little more time with you. My pleasure. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and being your best self. If you've been a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againststscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, please make a small donation to help the victims around the world receive the help that they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our benfotaming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks everybody for being here with us today. Go to my website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com, for additional information and resources. Check out my YouTube channel and subscribe, and follow the replays of all of our great guests. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much for being here.